Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, uh, here again for our latest podcast. As always, thanking you, lovely listener, for joining us. Today is a roundtable podcast. It's a little bit different to what we normally do because last night, as we are talking, I joined a number of senior HR professionals, a lovely dinner to Cafe Murano, and we talked about a book that one of the uh, panellists for today has written, and that's Merv Dinan. Merv, you're right. I'm doing good. Thank you, Chris. It's lovely to have you on again. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, great stuff. So the book that you wrote was Digital Talent. Now, we're not going to go into digital talent. I mean, Merv will obviously just say, buy the book, please. But we had a separate podcast and you can access that. And we'll put that in the show notes, the access to that podcast where Merv and I talk specifically about digital talent, the book itself, some of the key themes and things like that. But what we did last night, and I'm going to bring Chris Horton in at this stage. Chris, how are you doing? Hi, Mr. Howard. How are you? Very good indeed. Very good indeed. So what we did last night is obviously talk to Merv about some of the findings within that book, and we will discuss some of the interesting topics of conversation that came up. But of course, one of the reasons why we ran this event was, of course, because of the one big thing. So just for those people that haven't heard before, maybe Chris just say who you are and then the one big thing. So hi, everyone. Chris Horton. I am a director at LACE. Recently, during the summer of 22, we went out to 30 CPU and ask them the question over the next 12 to 24 months, what's the key thing you are concerned about or keeping you up at night? From those discussions, from the different answers that were provided, we have three clear topics. The clear topics, no surprise, from this podcast around talent and attraction. Second was around flexible or hybrid working. And the final one was around EVP. Yeah. And and what we wanted to do, of course, is bring together that discussion. It's what are CPOs thinking about from a talent perspective? And of course, I did say this was a roundtable discussion. I wanted to bring our fourth and final musketeer. No, that's three musketeers, but we'll have three musketeers. It's Tim Ringo. Uh, Tim, who has recently joined us at Lace Partners. How are you doing? Good, good. Very good to be on here. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's really, really great to have you on. And the four of us, of course, were at the event last night. So what I wanted to do today was just take maybe 15, 20 minutes to just kind of reflect on some of the interesting conversations that we had. And Merv, I'll I'll kick off with you, if that's all right. Is there one kind of reflection or based on the conversations that you had and you heard from some of the gathered, the assembled sort of CPOs, HRDs that we spoke to that you thought was really an interesting kind of tidbit that we can leave with our listeners? There were some very interesting conversations. I think that I suppose to to put a bit of context around it, I was trying to talk about in terms of the attraction being a place where people want to work. So what makes a place where people want to work and stay and having the experience right. So I won't I won't go through that particularly. But I think what was interesting to me is is one of the topics over the last three, four years that I've talked about a lot and been involved researching is around kind of talent mobility, internal mobility, talent intelligence, and how we we 
I suppose, almost get back to being organizations where people can join us and can grow careers. They can learn different skills, maybe do different things, take on different challenges. And what came through loud and clear last night, which really backed up most of the research that I've been involved with, but it was great to hear it from HR professionals themselves, that it, it really is a struggle. That within an organization there there are there are cultural areas some people don't don't want to share data on on their best performers because they don't want to move to other parts of the business there's this almost kind of hiding we don't have full talent intelligence data fully visible so there's almost kind of not not everybody knows how well other people are performing in the business and this kind of belief at senior level that there is something to be gained by consistently bringing in people from outside bring maybe have different perspectives maybe used to doing things in a different way so i mean a lot of the challenge the talent challenges we have internally can be filled internally that will create other opportunities for people to move in within the organization but i think listening to people talking through the problems that they encounter pretty much backed up you know i won't say what i've written about in the books hopefully everybody listening has either bought it read it or is going to buy it and read it but yeah i mean we're there there are these barriers to internal mobility that as much as we talk about it we still struggle to overcome and I thought it was interesting chatting with the different people around the tables and really looking at a lot of them thought that up to two thirds of the hiring that was done was focused around external hiring. And I think there's a strong push, especially in with such restrictions on offering people more money or, or doing different packages that really people there was a there was an admission collectively that would, there was a, a much greater need to focus on internal development and internal hiring and actually to get over some of the biases of hiring managers to actually look at you know internal pools of talent and to also start to look at maybe adjacent skills as well as other things to make sure that you are really tapping into the the internal pools of talent rather than always or two-thirds of the time you know looking to go external yeah, no, I would agree 100%. And it was great to hear people talking about that as well. Again, it's it's written about and presented in research as that's best practice. But to hear that as well as being best practice, it is what people are doing is always good to know. Yeah, certainly. Tim, from your perspective, anything you want to build on that you found as an interesting reflection? Or do you want to just jump in on some of the conversations that, that Chris and Merv were just talking about there? No, I totally, totally agree with what they said. I think I'll add three new ones to the mix um, that I heard. So I think, first of all, almost all of the attendees last night are either in the midst of replacing their HR technology or about to set off down that path, which is tremendous. It's good timing in terms of the software these days is very good. I think there can be some good deals done as we potentially look at coming recession. So I, I sort of encourage that, obviously, um, to carry on with that. And if we can help in any way, that would be great too. The second one that I saw was, or that I heard, was people are still really concerned and still struggling with finding talent and retaining talent, despite the fact that, you know, we're told recession is looming. Nobody seemed to be worried about uh, so much about that. They're still more worried about where they're going to get talent to fill the roles they have. So I thought that was interesting. And then the last one, which wasn't one that sort of occurred to me, but several people sort of agreed, was that the train strikes and the disruption of other strikes are having on people, their well-being and their stress levels, trying to get around the country by train or running into postal 
postal strikes, those sorts of things. And and quite a few of the of the senior HR directors that were there last night were like, yeah, we're having issues with with people and and stress and engaging and productivity. I mean, clearly when the trains aren't working, that's that's impacting productivity, and and so that's a worry. And I thought that was a really interesting one that I hadn't really thought of, but it sounds like that's starting to impact businesses. These strikes. I think the other interesting one that was mentioned by most of the people around the table was around hiring managers and the level of training that hiring managers get. And I think from the different discussions from the the people that were there last night, there was a significant difference. Some some companies had done much more extensive hiring manager training. Others basically just got the person who liked to do the hiring the most to do it. So I think it's from a from both a consistency perspective, from actually having best practice, from actually knowing what to do, from making sure that you don't have unconscious bias, making sure that that you're doing things mm-hmm. in a consistent and to Mo's point, in an, an er- experiential way where the experience is actually good for the candidate, I think was a really strong gap that seemed to be prevalent amongst most of the different companies last night, which wasn't a total surprise, but I think it was it was most of the companies seemed less mature than I would have expected or thought. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'll, I'll ask I'll ask Merv. Yeah. Sorry, do you have do you want to add on that? I was just going to, I was just going to, uh, I suppose, add on to what Chris said. That it is, I think I made the point that research I've been involved with has shown that for hiring managers, his hiring isn't a constant state. It's something they do sometimes on a regular basis, sometimes on an irregular basis. They don't have talent acquisition, the in-house recruitment team or HR's overview of almost a daily kind of churn of data, statistics. These are the three things talent are looking for. This is this is what a great candidate experience is. They don't really have access to that. So it needs to come internally from HR and recruitment to actually almost give them a kind of a, a fit to hire kind of test. And that is, is, we didn't really discuss a lot about that last night, other than it was a big issue for hiring managers not quite understanding. You can't ask questions like that, or or you can't assume that this is the only interview the person's having or something. So yeah, I I think it is one of those really interesting bits. And one of the simplest ways, which which doesn't happen again, because time is of an essence, but the research I was involved was, was asking talent acquisition people, do you sit in on hiring manager interviews? And it was a quite a low percentage that did. So that's one way that can help, albeit the hiring managers themselves might, if they've got another person observing them, might put them off a bit. I don't know. I've got a question for, I'll go to Tim on this one then. I was just thinking as you were talking about that, Merv, whose responsibility, is it HR's responsibility to be driving all of this then, do you think, Tim? And actually, let's ask everyone that. So I'll start with you, Tim. No, I think best practice is emerging that, you know, it really should be the managers themselves driving a lot of this and that the hiring people in HR should be there to support. Because, I mean, the managers are the closest to the requirement. And we heard that last night. I heard that a couple of times in the discussions that they're closest to it and they know what they need and what they want. And, you know, the technology these days allows people to you know, managers to do a lot of this themselves. When I was at SAP, you know, I had to do a lot of the the recruitment side of things if I wanted people put in a rec for it. I had to get a, an advisor from from HR to then help me go find candidates, and it was quite it was really on me to do that. And you could get a better result from that. Clearly, I have to set aside time to do it, but it's worth it because what's in it for me in the end is I, I get a better candidate and I own that process. So that's just yeah. one thought on it. Yeah, and Mer, from your perspective, again, question around also what's what's HR's role in this? 
That is an interesting question. I, uh, the first thing I thought of was was way back a number of years ago when we, we started having these kind of conferences and unconferences and get-togethers, I suppose in the, the early days of social media. There was this constant debate that, that, that should recruitment report to HR or should HR report to recruitment? And uh, nobody talks about that now because obviously, you know, organisations in terms of their planning and everything are, are much more mature. But it needs to be a collaboration between both. And in terms of the actually identifying, interviewing, hiring, giving a good experience, then I think it's the talent acquisition stroke in-house recruitment team that needs to run that because they're the people who who have the day-to-day overview of, of what is going on they're interviewing all the time they are seeing from candidates what other things they're looking at they're finding out more about different they're the people that the recruitment tech companies are very much pitching to particularly the interview platforms the analytics platforms the ai platforms it's the recruitment team hr are getting pitched to as well but but for something slightly different that's more around the i suppose performance management management and, and skill development and things like that. I absolutely ag- agree with Merv where I think it's almost process and experience delivery needs to come from the talent acquisition recruitment team to make sure that all of those steps are being followed to make sure that that people know that they should be providing feedback that they should be indicating where you are in the process you know all of those good good things but I think it it's the delivery the the front seat is the the hiring manager and and how they interact with the candidate throughout the process but I think to keep things clean to make sure that everyone's following to make sure that everyone's doing best practice I absolutely think it's talent acquisition recruitment is responsible. Yeah. There was also an interesting discussion. I'm just moving us on a little bit. There was an interesting discussion, which I think you obviously led on as well, Chris. I'll start with you and then we'll go to Tim, which was around this kind of cultural fit point. And I know you were talking about there is an element of, well, actually, I won't just explain it. I won't use your words. You can use your words. So just... I, I, I was thinking about it very much from the context of the hiring that we do within Lace Partners. And we we quite often will have discussions about this is the culture, these are the the these are the values or characteristics that we truly believe in as an organization. And I think there's real value to that. My question was more as a as a devil's advocate, both to myself and to everyone else in the the, the dinner, to really say sometimes do we end up using cultural fit as an excuse or as a way to limit the diversity that we're actually bringing in. So we want like-minded people who can work with us. Are we actually potentially cutting off a real source of diversity that's only going to make each of our companies stronger? So it was more both a challenge to myself and a broader challenge to everyone else just to think about are are our talent acquisition practices limiting the diversity because we because we focus on this thing called cultural fit yeah tim just a couple of reflections from your perspective on that that discussion that was around that cultural fit side yeah i would i would build on that i think we have to be careful because cultural fit can be can quickly subconsciously become hire people like me right and that's not a good that's not a good thing and i i wrote a blog last year that got quite a lot of traction and debate around it which i said why why do so many places still require a degree for a role shouldn't we be looking at the pool of talent broadly and leave out that that bit and i got a lot of pushback on that blog people saying that's ridiculous you know we can't do that and so i think that kind of illustrates the point where culture fit can suddenly become something that's really starts to become an ingrained process so 
And, and to your point, Tim, one of the people who was there last night, she she brought up that that they had actually decided that you didn't need, you know, a master's degree or a degree for certain roles. And, and it was actually, she said it was a real fight to to achieve that, but it's actually done wonders. And they've, they've absolutely opened up a much larger pool and been able to fill positions, fill positions successfully where we're employees are actually doing a great job and, and it really wasn't something that was necessary. Yeah, that shows, a, that shows quite a level of maturity within that business. And Merv, from your perspective, of the different types of organisations that you talk to, sort of maturity, something that you see a lot of in the businesses you talk to, or is that an isolated incident, this company that have taken that bold step? I think there is way, way more awareness of this than there was probably a few years ago. Certainly, I've I've been involved in in discussions, you know, in Europe, you know, UK, US, about kind of you know not not having qualifications on the CV, about kind of not interviewing in a way that doesn't default to the most confident, shall we say, and the mistaking of confidence for competence. I think the whole thing with hiring for culture fit is that it's very difficult to define what 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 a culture fit would be, and so the easiest way to define it is to look at the backgrounds of the people and say we need a background like that. Sometimes organisational culture is very difficult to define because it changes right across an organisation depending on mm. what, who the people are, where it's based, what they're doing and it can change depending you know, from project to project almost. So I think it, it's often a default for a more bias in hiring. So we all know the hiring managers say, no, no, I've, I've always found that people who've done this kind of degree and that kind of education always do well in this job. And it's kind of, I suppose, trying to move away from that mindset by breaking down the job. And that's where we get to a lot of skill stuff. And we're talking about adjacent skills, which we've already referenced earlier in this chat here and was talking about last night about looking at skills as opposed to a background. And when we structure interviews, the structure assessments, we've got to structure them in a way that doesn't default to confidence. There have been quite a bit, a few things on the TV over the years where people have looked into this and saying how people with a good degree who haven't come from a particular educational background struggle in kind of group exercises, where, of course, the people who don't struggle in group exercises are often people who actually are good talkers, but maybe don't have a lot of knowledge to back it up, which some people listening might say is illustrated by me in this chat. I don't know. But I think that, that we, we have to be very careful how we identify culture. And if we are hiring for a culture fit, it's an organisational culture in terms of the way, not we do things, but it's kind of, I suppose, how it operates, how we interact with each other, how we interact with clients, suppliers and stuff, as opposed to people like this do well here. Yeah, certainly. I just want to move us on slightly because you started to, the, the skills bit is interesting, like hiring for skills, I think so. It's, it's quite interesting for us to just uh, pick pick out a little bit, if that's all right. And Tim, I'll start with you because I thought one of the interesting conversations that was had was this idea of organisational conservatism when finding people. And there was conversations that took place about, oh, we, we only really look for people that have got experience within our sector, be it pharma or be it insurance, financial services or whatever it is. So do you think there is quite a lot of organisational, this organisational conservatism that still exists? Do you think there are many companies, again, going back to the, I guess it's going back to the degree kind of point, but in a slightly different spin on it where, yeah, it, there's a little bit of, we need to just go after what we already know. Are their businesses bold enough? And have you seen many businesses that are bold enough that are actually doing it? 
Well, I um, went to a sort of early Christmas party this past weekend and was seeing a lot of my neighbors and and they work in all sort of really interesting places. One of them is a is a television producer who produces a lot of the shows that you probably know and love. Who's my neighbor, very interesting guy. And he, I asked him this question. I said, so how are you in terms of getting staff at the moment? He said, it's really, really hard. Netflix is stealing away our people, blah, blah, blah. But he said, what we've, what we've done for the first time is we've broadened the pool. We're really focused on diversity. We're very focused on hiring people that are different from what we've done in the past. And it's, it's basically a rule at the moment that you mustn't sort of hire people like yourself. And for that industry, which is extremely conservative in terms of how it's done things in the past, I found that really interesting. And he said, one thing that was good, he said, they've got almost immediate results from taking that in terms of new shows that they're coming up with. And he outlined a couple shows that were really cool that are coming along. He said, we brought people in that we wouldn't have hired before. And they came up with the ideas for these shows. And that's where they make their money. Right. So, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. So. So, yeah, I think there's still a lot of conservatism. What I'm picking up from people anecdotally, anecdotally, as people are starting to, as we say in America, push the boat out a bit and see, is there potentially a way to start looking at different pools of talent? and actually bring in different people. So it seems like there's an effort on at the moment. I'm interested, do you think people are being forced to go down a route of looking at different talent pools just because there's not as many people around? Or is it actually more of a conscious decision where the appreciation is actually diversity by carrying that through is actually bringing in additional value, additional points of view, additional things that we would have we would have never seen before. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I, I think there was there's just a general thinking that this is a, a good way to start to do business. But I think it's also driven by it's hard to find talent right now in, in certain industries. So there's one senior HR leader there last night who's also in that in a very similar industry as that and seeing very much the same thing with people getting poached away. And they're starting to look at people who are more of the bent, you know, some people that are starting to do more stuff in the metaverse and, and produce things in the metaverse, which is kind of a new place to go find talent because people People have certain artistic capabilities and technical capabilities and sounded like that was working out really well by going into places like Google and Facebook and stealing away some of their people who are working heavily on the metaverse for the moment because of the skills they have. Merv, what's your view on this? I think that sourcing, I've been involved in a couple of sessions this year, more as an observer and questioner as opposed to kind of uh, participating. Sourcing is coming from a lot of different places. So as you say about the metaverse, I know there are people, I was, I remember listening to a, a, an example of a guy who, who, he just goes into Slack groups talking about Star Wars. He doesn't, he doesn't look for skills. He doesn't look for anything specific. He goes into a programmer Slack groups talking about Star Wars, starts conversations and some way down the line then is kind of, do you know anybody that does this? And Yeah, I do this. And it's all become a lot more creative, shall we say, particularly yeah. around the tech area. I think that there will always be companies, there will always be organisations dependent upon size or the market that they're in that will default to the we want somebody that's done this before. And, and you can't help that, particularly with smaller organizations, because it, it, it's they, they need the platform before they can grow. But I think there is a lot more creativity now about how and where we find people and source them and bring them on. Cool. Uh, I'm going to move this on to one more topic, because we are on about the 25-minute mark of this 30-minute podcast. And it's something that 
was raised yesterday and I thought was really interesting and definitely worth us picking up today. And it was around, we started talking about those job specs and it kind of links to what you were talking about earlier, Chris, with regards to diversity. And one of the delegates or one of the attendees last night was talking about how they've actually changed the way in which they write and they develop their job specs because she was giving the example of women will normally see a list of 15 items or 15 requirements and think, well, I need to hit all of these 15 requirements. And this is quite 90%, paid off average. 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 
tell, the machine is usually slightly wrong. But when we've got it on the paper, we can fix that, right? But if you're just following the machine blindly, being a human saying, well, the machine's right, it it typically isn't. So it's always good to kind of have that ability to course correct based on the human making a judgment, right? But I think that's a good way to maybe think of this as well. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I quite like that. I quite like that. We're just coming towards the end of the podcast, but don't want to cut you out of this. So just any kind of final thoughts on that from that job spec side, the impact of technology, the role that it's playing, you know, things like that. I kind of agree with everything that's been said. If they're too prescriptive, if they're too detailed, then you're trying to find almost an impossible match. There's always the area with most roles where there's room for creativity, there's room for people to iterate. And I think it's less about the list of duties, shall we say, which is, I suppose, a more historical way of looking at it and, and competencies, and more about what is the role? What are we looking for somebody to do with it? How can they make it their own? How can they achieve with it? And, and almost when you're in interviewing, hearing from others, their ideas, like, I would love this role because I think we can do this. There seems to be scope for that. And I think a much more open dialogue as opposed to the, the kind of checklist kind of interviewing. We want these 10 things. And if you've got them, you've got an offer. Yeah. No, fascinating. We are on time. Unfortunately, we are well. We're on the time. The time to be ending today's podcast. Get your words out, Christopher. That's quite a difficult thing to do on a Thursday afternoon after we've had a lovely evening. And so thank you very much, Murph. It's my pleasure. It was great to join you all. And Tim, as always, good to have you on. Thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Yeah, happy to be here. And finally, last but not least, Mr. Horton, thank you very much for your... The pleasure is yours. (laughs) You can, of course, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. You know where you get your podcasts. I'm not going to list all of those different fabulous sites as they are. You can see all of our back catalogue on the Lace Partners website, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining us. And we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.